So the picture of the couple on the screen is uh, Rich and Carla Elliott. If you've been here a while, you'll recognize them because we pray for them as a church every month. Uh, currently, they're serving overseas in Central Asia as missionaries. Uh, but 10 years ago is when I first met Rich, and he was here in Wichita serving at the college ministry Christian Challenge at Wichita State. And Rich, uh, I don't know how to describe this, Rich was just always doing crazy things. And if you knew Rich, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, I tried to think of good Rich stories to share with you. Um, and this was the one that came to mind. So this isn't maybe the craziest, it's definitely not the craziest thing that he's done, but it's a good example of how Rich would do outlandish things. Um, but he did them in a good way and for a good reason. So one time we were at this retreat, uh, guys and girls, a, a, a college retreat, and there was like, a, we were hiking along a trail, and Rich goes up to this one girl, uh, and he's like, so tell me, uh, who, who are the top 10 guys in challenge, the top 10 most eligible bachelors? It's like, Rich, who does that? Uh, you, you, you shouldn't do that. Uh, kind of putting someone on the spot, and she was, you know, kind of flush red. She didn't answer. She knew Rich, though. She, she knew Rich did stuff like that, and she knew why. Uh, Rich did stuff like that, and it, normally it made himself the the, the butt of the joke, but he did it to make everyone else around him a lot more comfortable, right? We're a bunch of insecure college students, and here's this older guy, mid-20s, late-20s, who's willing to be embarrassed so that no one else could be as embarrassed as Rich. Um, and you might think, but what about that lady? You know that one? Well, Rich walked her and all the women out to their cars when it was late after Thursday night challenge. You know, he walked them out to their cars. Uh, he danced with them at the barn dance. He was a good friend to everybody. Uh, what he did in a vacuum, like if you look at that one instance all by itself, it doesn't make sense. It looks foolish, crazy. But in the context of his life, his relationships, it made sense. It was functional. It was intentional. It was a blessing. And so I'll tell you, if Rich was in this room today, he wouldn't act that way in, in this setting. He'd find, he'd, he'd, he'd assess the situation and he'd say, okay, how can I be the greatest blessing to the people around me that I can be? Oh, I haven't met this person. I'll go meet them. And I'm not going to ask them, oh, you know, who are you most interested in? <laughs> I'm not, you know, he, he'd wait. He'd wait a few months. So, but all of that that Rich did was totally out of his comfort comfort zone. But to him, it was worth the price of self-humiliation because even though Rich was and is a sinner, just like all of this, he wasn't living for himself. He wasn't a mid to late 20s guy working with college students so that he could benefit himself from that. He was laying, a, he was laying his life down. He, and because he was laying his life down for the gospel, he was free, free to be what I'd call functionally foolish. And so this week and next week, we're going to see that Paul, the Apostle Paul, did the same thing in a different context. He became functionally foolish. And here's what I mean by functional foolishness. It's something that in a vacuum, all by itself, it, 
it looks foolish, but it's actually not because it's intentional, purposeful, and useful to the people uh, who are around. It benefits people. So it's, it's, it's doing something you wouldn't normally do, but doing that in order to bless another person. If it's something that you normally do, it's not foolish to you because you have a practice of doing it. We all do what makes sense to us. So if you normally do something, uh, you're doing it because it makes sense to you, and therefore you're not viewing that as a foolish thing to do. And so back to Rich, he wasn't just being goofy. He was being a goofball for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of building relationships. And in that way, he was being intentional so that what he did could be useful to accomplish a specific purpose, make people feel comfortable, build, build camaraderie within a group. He definitely wasn't doing it for himself and for attention. It was foolishness for a purpose. It was functional foolishness. And so if you don't really connect with that example, if you don't know Rich and you don't feel like you know Rich anymore uh, as a result of this story, uh, here's another, one more example. Um, guys who don't enjoy watching chick flicks, okay? I know there are some guys in this room who enjoy watching chick flicks, and that's fine. It doesn't make you any less of a man. But my example is for guys who don't enjoy it. You look at the title of a chick flick and you're like, I haven't seen it, but I already know the plot. And then <laughs> 10 minutes in, the guy, you know, comes into the scene and you're like, he's going to end up with her. It's, it's foolish. And then as you keep watching every five minutes, you just want to scoff. Oh, saw that coming a mile away. And then, you know, maybe you're like predicting, you know, 15 minutes from now, this is going to happen. So for those guys who view chick flicks as a waste of time, when you're on a date or when your wife wants to watch a chick flick, is the purpose, the function of spending time together, the purpose of blessing her, is that worth it to you to endure a little foolishness that you would call it foolishness? You'd never do it in a vacuum, all by yourself, but for the sake of blessing her, would you do that? That's functional foolishness, if you would do that. So, to be foolish is to live without understanding, uh, to live in a way that really doesn't make sense, but functional foolishness does make sense because it serves a greater purpose. And so Paul, in, the, in a passage that we're going to look at today, Paul does functional foolishness in the context of bad boasting. If you were here last week, uh, you might remember that Paul said, here's what good and healthy boasting looks like. Here's what bad boasting looks like. So let's review the three points of good boasting. Paul says that healthy and good boasting, we, we, can, we can and we should boast about the relationships that God has given to us. We should also boast in the success of others as they grow in their faith, as, their, as the faith spreads through them and through those relationships that God has entrusted to us, we should boast because it's God's glory that's being magnified, not our glory. It's God's glory through, through those relationships. And then finally, the, the groundwork, the foundation of all healthy boasting is boasting in Christ, boasting in the one who commends us. So Paul knows what good boasting is. He had just said, this is good boasting, this is bad boasting. But Paul's about to engage in some 
bad boasting. He just said he knows what it is. Don't do that. And then he does it. Well, why would he do that? It's because he's engaging in functional foolishness. He's doing it for a greater reason than just boasting about himself. So, so this week, Paul's going to begin with what sounds like unhealthy, self-centered boasting in verse 1 of chapter 11. And this first verse really sets the tone for what Paul's going to do for the next 46 verses. It's like a chapter and a half. And so look at verse 1. He says to the Corinthians, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. So he's calling his shot. I'm going to be foolish, and I need you to come with me. And then he says, indeed, you are bearing with me. Like, you've read up to this point in the letter. (laughs) So stay with me through the end, please. I need you to. And then at the end of this 46-verse section, Paul says, I've become foolish. You made me do it. So I just want you to see that Paul's being intentional about what he's doing. Uh, and if, you don't, if we don't understand that, then the rest really loses its meaning because we lost the context. So Paul says, I'm going to be foolish for your sake, and then I became foolish for your sake. So he's being functionally foolish. And he's going to prove the point of why he does this next week. But this week we're going to see uh, the reasons that he gives for doing this. So let's listen to the rest of our passage today. Paul says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. But indeed, you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we've not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you've not received, or a different gospel, which you've not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I'm unskilled in speech, yet I'm not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, We've made this evident to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brothers came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. But what I'm doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. 
whose end will be according to their deeds. So it sure sounds like Paul engages in some unhealthy, self-centered boasting. He's defending himself. He's giving reasons that they should follow him and not these new teachers that have infiltrated the church. But he's actually doing some functional foolishness and he's giving three good reasons as to why he is engaging in functional foolishness. So let's look at the first. Uh, The first is his loving concern for them, for the church. And you see this in verses 2 through 4 and in verses 10 and 11. So Paul starts by saying, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm about to be foolish because I care deeply about you. And, and I care about you, so, and, and so when these new teachers, these false teachers have come into the church, and, and some of you are starting to follow them, but others of you aren't, I'm afraid that eventually your, all, your minds are going to be led astray. Just like in the Garden of Eden, when the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, his craftiness, his deceit. And I'm, I'm afraid that these new teachers are going to persuade you away from Christ. And, and he's saying, if people, people have already come to you and proclaimed a different Jesus, a different gospel, and you're bearing it quite beautifully, you're not really putting up a fight. At least to, you know, to some in the church, this was the case. Obviously to others, they were kind of hesitant or putting up a fight. Otherwise, there'd be no audience for 2 Corinthians. But this is a real threat. And so he, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to be foolish because I love you. I love you too much to not challenge your thinking. And so he, he goes on in verse 10 and says, as, as the truth of Christ is in me, I'm not going to stop this foolish boasting of mine. And it's because, it's because I love you that I'm doing something foolish. This boasting, this self-centered boasting. So, because Paul loves them, he wants to remove that which will harm them. It's just like if you're a kid, or if you're a parent, and your kid is touching the electrical outlets, it's like, no, you put a cover on that. You, you discipline them because you want to remove that which will harm them. And that's what Paul's doing. And the second reason for his functional foolishness is he just wants to cut off the super apostles. That... He knows that they're imposters and he knows that they're sent, whether the, whether the super apostles, the false teachers know it or not, they're sent by the devil, the ultimate imposter. So we see this in verses 12 through 15. Paul says, what I'm doing, this bad boasting, I'm going to continue to do so that I can cut off opportunity from those who want to be regarded just like we are. They're false apostles, deceitful workers, they're in disguise as apostles of Christ. Apostle just means sent one. Christ has not sent them, but they're saying Christ has sent them. And then he says, no wonder, because this is the way that Satan works. He disguises himself as an angel, a messenger of light. But that's not what he is. And so, this, it's, it's easy to kind of read 2 Corinthians and think, is Paul just jealous that, that this church has new leadership? Because he used to be their leader and then these new guys came in. That's not it at all. Paul is out for their, Paul's out for their good, for their heart. And these new shepherds, they would come in and eat the sheep if they got the influence that they wanted. So, so Paul's defending them 
He's, he's, he's working for their good. And the third reason that, that Paul is foolish for their sake is so that he can show, guys, you can trust me. He's proving and showing his trustworthiness. So let's look again at what Paul says in verses five through nine. This, this is really where it sounds like Paul's defending himself. He's saying, I'm not in any way, shape, or form lesser than. I'm not inferior to any of the top apostles. It's like a basketball player saying, yeah, let's just settle it on the court. You know, I'm not afraid to go one-on-one with anybody. He, Paul's saying, I'm not in the least inferior to them. He says, even if I am unskilled in speech, if, if you're more impressed with their speeches than mine, whatever, I know I'm not unskilled in knowledge. And that word knowledge is working knowledge. It's functional knowledge. It's not just knowing things like we think of learning something and spitting it back on the, out on the test. It's, it's learning something and actually knowing how to use it. And he says, in every way I'm showing this knowledge. In every way I've, I've shown my trustworthiness to you. And then he gives an example. His financial relationship with them He said, you can trust me because what have I gained? Paul, even though he could have gotten paid, he chose not to in order to bless this church. And he received support both by working himself and from other churches on his mission. And so even though it sounds like Paul is defending himself, here's what Paul's really doing. In chapter 12, verse 19, this is a really important verse for the whole book. He says, All this time, you're thinking that we're defending ourselves to you. Actually, in the sight of God, we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding. So, yeah, it sounds like I'm defending myself, Paul says, but we're just speaking the truth to you and we're doing it for your good. And so those are the three reasons that Paul was functionally foolish. And and there's quite a few applications from this text that we can apply to our own lives today. Uh, the first is beware of false teachers and the false gospel. They were out there then in the first century. They're still out there now. And I'm not going to stand up here and list names or list churches. Uh, I'm just going to encourage you to invest in learning under a good teacher. <laughs> I'm going to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit be your teacher, the scripture be your authority, and it'll become quite clear what's false and what's true. And I think the best teachers are also personal ones. Uh, John Piper was really helpful in my life as a college student to form a lot of my theology, but he's not the best teacher I've ever been under because I never knew him personally. (laughs) The best teachers are personal ones. Personal influence is much more powerful than professional or organizational influence. It's also more messy, and more difficult, but uh, invest in teachers who love you and they love you with the truth, just like Paul loved the Corinthians with the truth and he knew them personally. Rich was one of those teachers for me. He was a great teacher because he loved me with the truth. Another application is have a function worth being foolish for. 
we're all going to be foolish for something in our lives. We will spend our lives on something, and we will, we should, we, we probably will be foolish for something outside of ourself. And you, if you never are, then you're foolish for yourself. Because <laughs> you, you just do what seems right to you. But the, it's worth having a function to be foolish for, a purpose higher than yourself. And then another application is just thinking through, who do you care so much about that you're willing to be or look foolish for their good? That in a vacuum, you do, you do something for them that in a vacuum it wouldn't make sense to do at all. Like watch a chick flick. But who do you care so much about that you're willing to be foolish or to look foolish for their good? And so let's, let's keep thinking about applications by thinking about some functions that are worth being foolish for. Well, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with your whole being. So relationship with God, <laughs> that's a function worth being or appearing foolish for. And then the second is like it, Jesus said. It's, it's like relationship with God, but it's second place. Relationship with people, love people. That's a function worth being foolish for. And so let's dive into relationship with God. How important is holiness to you? Is that something that you're willing to look or feel foolish for? Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's like, whoa, Jesus, that seems foolish, a little extreme. Well, the function is worth it. Holiness is that important. He wasn't speaking literally, if that's your first time ever hearing that verse. But he's saying, attack and engage holiness with this kind of veracity, with this kind of intensity. This is what matters the most. And holiness is simply becoming like Jesus. And so let's, let's look at the second function, relationship with people. And with regards to that function, I just want to say that growing as a disciple, someone who belongs to Jesus, and then making disciples, those two things go hand in hand. Your growth and then your engagement on mission, making disciples. Those two things go hand in hand. It's not, oh, I've got to grow up to a certain point before I can go and tell anyone anything about Jesus. So if you've trusted Christ with your life, here's my challenge to you. Pursue making a disciple. I, I'd say that's Christ's challenge to you. And there's a lot of excuses. <laughs> uh, like, let, let's just tackle a few of them. Well, I'm not a people person. And then John mentioned that in announcements. In order to make a disciple, I, I'd need to be more of a people person. I'd prefer to work on a task, you know, hang gutters, clean bathrooms, fix things. And it's fine to have that preference. And those tasks are important. And they do fit into making disciples. But we don't serve our preferences. We're called to serve the Lord. So God is both a God who acts, he does things, and he relates. He, he's a God of doing and a God of being. So don't try to wiggle out of the Great Commission 
because you prefer to not be uncomfortable or you prefer to work with your hands, uh, that's great. But the Great Commission isn't life-draining, it's life-giving. Here's another potential excuse is, Ben, I just don't know enough. I just don't know how to make a disciple. And I just challenge you to think and pray through, how much do you need to know to make a disciple? Well, you need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, I got that. Okay. So let's make a plan or execute it and then learn from that experience. You don't have to be perfect. Uh, and that's what we're going to do July 1 together is how can I think through engaging, uh, reaching out to the lost? Well, let's make a plan, execute it, and learn from it. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. He sent them out. They came back. He debriefed with them. How'd it go? So another excuse when it comes to making disciples is, well, I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. Everybody's got the same amount of time. We just choose how we spend it. And Acts 17, God says that he's placed, he's appointed the time and the places for all men to live so that they would seek him. So if you're a physical therapist, a teacher, a stay-at-home mom, uh, God's mission includes those vocations. Every honorable and good vocation is included. So, as we pursue leaving our comfort zone, as we pursue being functionally foolish for the right function, for the right purposes, we have to continue looking to the one who did it first. We have to keep looking to Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the cross is foolishness, but the cross is also incredibly powerful. It's incredibly functional. It was foolishness with a function. Foolishness that the Messiah, God in, in human flesh, died. Functional because we died with him. And our life is now hidden with Christ in God. The function of glorifying his Father in heaven Jesus deemed that function was worth the foolishness of dying a brutal death that he did not deserve. So if you're in Christ, you are saved, but you're also continually being saved. You're being sanctified, being changed into his likeness. And so you're called to live a life of functional foolishness. And so this plays out like the world would say, hey, it's foolish to not trust Anyone other than yourself, you've got to look out for number one. So it's foolishness to the world when we trust God most, when he's number one. The world would say it's foolish to be weak. It's foolish, it's even more foolish to boast about your weakness. And God says, boast about your weakness. My power is made perfect there. And the world would say it's foolish to lose your life. Do everything you can to protect it, to keep it, to save it. And Jesus says, if you try to save it, you'll lose it. But if you lose it for me, you'll find it. You'll preserve it. So remember Rich, uh, his growth in functional foolishness did not happen overnight. It was a series of choices that he made 
dying to self, living to God. Dying to self, living to God. And he surrounded himself with people who were also committed to that, experienced success in that, and helped him with that. He surrounded himself with good teachers, good leaders. And Rich was, and still is, an inspiration to me personally. But he'd be the first to tell me and the first to tell you he's still learning, he's still growing, he's still being saved. But the the cross is still the power of God for him as one who is being saved. And if we're not willing to leave our comfort zone, even at the risk of appearing foolish, then we're just not going to grow. And we're going to miss out. And it's possible to be a Christian and to live long stretches of your life that way, in self-centered and self-protecting mode. But why do that? Why stay there? True life is found, and it's preserved, it's kept, when we lose it for Christ. Let's pray together. Daddy, we know uh, this is not about perfection. (laughs) None of us are going to lose our life perfectly. (laughs) But you did that for us. And so we want the direction of our lives to reflect you. So would you please show us what we're really living for, what we're being foolish for, Move us to repent and believe. Move us to repentance and faith. Thank you for doing that in love. It's patient kindness. And Daddy, if there's anyone here who's never committed to follow you, Jesus, please convince them of their sin, your sacrifice on the cross, and your resurrection, and the life that's available to them and you right now. Show them that we're all going to be foolish for something. We're all going to live and give and spend our lives for someone or something. God, I pray that Today would be the day that they tell you, yes, I'm all in, Jesus, I'm yours. And if that happens, God, I pray that you'd move them to share that with someone here as well.